I'm Emily. And I'm Hannah. We are best friends and dietitians. We have a goal of challenging nutrition misinformation and fitness trends with an evidence-based approach. Each episode, we will dish up our thoughts about the latest facts on a popular health-related topic. We're the Upbeat Dietitians. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Upbeat Dietitians podcast. Hello, guys. Welcome back to a brand new episode. Today, we are talking about breaking news. We're staying on trend today, which I feel like we are pretty good about, but I don't want to get sidetracked today as much as we can avoid it because we have a lot to talk about. Um, So we're going to try our best to stay very on topic if we can. In case you missed it, there have been recent updates from the American Academy of Pediatrics in regards to childhood overweight and obesity. And if you follow Emily or I, you've seen us reposting a lot of content, but we are finally going to address it on our own terms today. Um, We're going to go over what these very problematic guidelines say, um, what makes them problematic, and kind of just talk about them and why we think that they're actually going to be doing a lot more harm than good. I'm excited for today. And I agree we have to stay on track because this could probably be like a three hour episode and we're not going to do that to you guys. (laughs) I mean, unless you want a part two, because I have made the outline and I like literally feel like I could like not finish it. Like I could have just like kept going with things I wanted to add to it. But okay, let's get right in because like we said, we got to stay on track today. So they just made this, cut that out. Gosh, words. So the AAP, which we'll talk about, we'll like abbreviate today as the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics. They just posted these guidelines like a week ago. And the last time they were updated was about 15 years ago. So it's been a while and it was much needed, but unfortunately they did it all wrong. (laughs) They (laughs) are advising pediatricians and other primary health care providers to offer treatments, um, offer treatment options early and at the highest available intensity for kids as young as two um, who are struggling with overweight and obesity, which they are defining by BMI, which we have a whole episode on why BMI is problematic and we'll explain it more today. But Right off the bat, these guidelines, which by the way, is a hundred pages, you can get the PDF. We can even link it for you guys. If you want to read it yourselves, um, the hundred page guideline starts with the list of authors, almost all of whom are MDs or public health professionals, no dietitians, no mental health professionals, at least not in the, um, author section. They do address eating disorders and disorders eating disordered eating in the guidelines as we'll address later in this podcast episode, but there appears to be no input at all from eating disorder specialists. That's the very first red flag right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk? No, I was going to say, I just want, you know what? I'll give you a read. I would like a read section that you just said where they're expecting pediatricians to start making weight loss recommendations. For two-year-olds? Two-year-olds. We are going to already dive into that more, but like second red flag. We could have a red, red flag tally today. Okay. We're on number two already. No eating disorder specialist input. Even if they mention it, doesn't, the way it reads, it does not 
having to eat a sore specialist, no, or two red flag, no dietitian in any of, with any of the authors. And there are a lot of dietitians in the research space. So they couldn't have had one on third red flag. They said you can, pediatricians are expected to make weight loss recommendations for two-year-olds. So we got so far. Ooh, fourth one. They're using BMI as a classification of getting these recommendations or guidelines pushed upon you, which is a good segue. So what do the guidelines even say? So they talk about obesity as a disease, which we're going to do a whole episode on in the future, um, because that could be a two hour conversation as well. Um, but basically the big takeaway is the pharma pharmacotherapy or medications that can be pushed upon kids and weight loss surgery, AKA bariatric surgery is also recommended for a certain age group as we'll describe. So again, it's a hundred pages to talk about obesity as, as a disease. They do discuss disordered eating and eating disorders, but they basically say it doesn't matter. We'll get to it. And then they kind of like at the end ish, like wrap up by saying, here's what to do. If you see patients that have overweight and obesity, which is a disease according to them. So when it comes to the pharmacotherapy or like weight loss drugs, it states that pediatricians and other primary healthcare providers may offer children ages eight through 11 years of age with obesity, weight loss, pharmacotherapy, according to medication indications, risks, and benefits as an adjunct to health behavior and lifestyle treatment. So uh, I'm someone who has worked in a space where weight loss meds have been prescribed. So I know far too much about them, unfortunately, but it is out of our scope to really address like the side effects and things like that, but they have a lot of side effects and these children can't consent to taking them. So it's all on the parents to make the choice if their eight-year-old should be taking some fentramine or not. Which is scary. Yeah. It's also up to the doctor too. Like maybe there are some doctors who are seeing these guidelines and they're like, absolutely not. But there's plenty I know for a fact that are like, finally, we can now prescribe these eight-year-olds some Topamax. Oh, I'm not, I'm I'm saving my comments for our problematic portion of this because there's already so many red flags. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'll quickly explain the bariatric surgery part too. So along with meds, the doctors, pediatricians, whoever can also recommend bariatric surgery and they're encouraged to do so. Um, The guidelines say that pediatricians and other primary health providers should offer a referral for adolescents 13 years and older with severe obesity, which is classified by BMI for evaluation from metabolic and bariatric surgery to local or regional comprehensive multidisciplinary pediatric metabolic and bariatric surgery centers. So basically they're saying that if a pediatrician sees a patient who has this disease of obesity based on BMI, a ratio of height to weight, this disease that's classified using just a number on the scale and a height stick should get a surgery where they amputate their stomach. We know there's risks that come along with it, including malnutrition while they're going through puberty, but they should do it because they have obesity. So yes, I know we're going to get into it, but the fact that they're recommending someone in their most important 
period of growth to anatomically manipulate a component of their body because a health indicator that was created based off of data of white men and that are were like middle-aged and now we are using that to diagnose children of something that's not like strongly backed by science right. is insane. Right. And like after bariatric surgery, which I also have some knowledge in like professionally as a dietitian, it's like the first year after surgery is so restrictive and how much you're able to eat. That's like the whole nature of the surgery. And if your body is like still growing, like, I just can't imagine what the outcomes would be if you're eating two ounces of food at every single meal. And we'll get to this too. Gosh, we're going to go through a lot today, but after surgery too, there's also, um, a vitamin protocol where you have to take a certain, uh, spectrum of vitamins because you're not able to eat enough nutrients through food because of the nature of the surgery. And I see a ton of adults who can barely maintain that protocol because it is like for the rest of your life, taking vitamins. And that's really hard to do. So how are we expecting like a 13 year old to follow this protocol where if they don't follow it, their risk of malnutrition is like through the roof because they're also growing. It's ah, I like, am so it's, frazzled. It's so bad. It's it. It's so bad because we both see a lot of like weight loss being pushed on children and now that there's like a professional organization basically saying like yeah by the way keep doing that and also give them meds and make them go through an invasive surgery right like they're saying all this even though we have so much evidence to support that like this doesn't work like these weight loss attempts fail most of the time, 97% of the time. So why are we still pushing this? And that's so funny because they literally address it. I don't want to get there yet, but they like literally are trying to co-op like the haze, intuitive eating, non-diet messaging and like spin it. So it's like in their own terms. So that way someone who maybe doesn't quite know as much as maybe we know about like haze and intuitive eating and all of that, who can like see the bullshit, like right through it someone who doesn't maybe know as much or doesn't quite fully understand all of that wouldn't see that language as problematic. And someone who like believes that their doctors have their best interests in mind. Which I definitely did until I started working in healthcare. Literally once you work in healthcare, it's like, oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is is not great here. (laughs) Um, But yeah, even like not even from a weight loss standpoint, people value doctors' opinions in every regard to a fault. And I can say like, I'm like thinking of like my friends growing up who are like in larger bodies. And like, if they're, if they had to do something like this, I'm like, I already know what the relationship with food like is now and they weren't being pushed meds, but like, it's very scary to think of like 
kids deal going to be dealing with it now who don't know any better and like potentially will have a lot of mental health issues going forward after. Right. And like with the surgery, especially like we see a lot of transfer addiction where you can't use food to cope anymore. So you turn to drugs and alcohol, mental health disorders tend to rise after surgery. And like, this is a lifelong surgery where like, it doesn't just like go away certain types. You can undo reverse the surgery, but, um, for the most part, like when you get a gastric sleeve, like you're probably going to have that for the rest of your life. And so like, if you're 13 years old and you get it out of like, because your parents made you basically, or you just didn't fully understand what you were agreeing to at the age of 13, when you're like in your thirties, forties, you still could be affected by that surgery that you had when you were 12. Yeah, exactly. But I want to get into more structured problems with the guidelines. So mm-hmm. very first thing they do, of course, is to describe like what obesity is and their whole shtick, like the whole weight loss industry stick is that obesity is a disease. And like I said, we're going to do a whole episode on it. So we won't go a whole lot into it. I say that even though I'm really fired up about it, I really want to talk about it a lot more. Um, but obesity as a disease is diagnosed using BMI which we've discussed in a whole episode, how BMI is very stupid and pointless and doesn't actually tell us anything about the human body. And you can't like come down with obesity. It can't be cured. It does not meet any of the criteria of a disease and having a body of a certain size is not the same thing as having a health condition with actual identifiable, like symptomology. It's it's just, that's just not how it works. Like when you diagnose diabetes, you have like an A1C based on like your blood sugars over three months. When you diagnose like hypertension, it's your blood pressure with obesity. We're using BMI, which is literally a ratio of height to weight. An incredibly outdated tool that not even the founder wanted us to be using for diagnosis purposes. So like right off the bat, it's not good. Right. Exactly. As for a lot of like weight loss companies are because that's always their hard hitting thing is sheer obesity and no longer being sick and you can like heal yourself and all whatever. Exactly. When what it's built upon is nothing but like very toothpicks of data that's not holding up for anything. Exactly. And I know like everyone who does support this is listening to this and they're being like, well, body fat, body fat is so bad for you. We don't really know for sure. Like at what level body fat is pathological, like when it leads to problems, every single person's so different. And so we can't say it like 20% body fat. That's when your obesity is a disease. Like we can't even know for sure. Plus they don't even use body fat percentage as a diagnostic no. tool anyway. Like that would already be more advanced than what it is. Exactly. Now. But they don't even go that far. They haven't even figured that out. Um, they just say like, oh, your BMI is 30 because of the ratio of your height to weight. You're obese. You uh, have a you disease. Weigh... Your body is a problem. Yeah. You like weigh too much for how tall you are. Sorry. You're... Yeah, exactly. Sucks for you. That's. Yeah. So they have a lot to, to benefit from though, by calling it a disease. And when I say they, I mean like the pharmaceutical industry, the bariatric surgery industries, 
the ones who are calling obesity disease are the ones who have the most to gain from it. I have a whole oh, list yeah. here. So I have a list of like who benefits from this list them all. disease. Oh my gosh. I'm yeah. like getting all fired up. I feel like I'm going to talk for hours. Okay. So first of all, scientists who are involved in like weight research are able to get more grants when obesity is a disease, because it's a scary epidemic. Like we should be focused on this. It's terrible for the world. Everyone's dying because of it. So they get more grant money to do their research, which then goes on to prove quote unquote, that obesity is a a disease. Governmental agencies, health agencies have powerful rationale for increasing their program and budget allocations. They're able to say obesity is a public health issue. We should be very worried about. We need more money to stop this. And then the big two, in my opinion, are weight loss companies and surgeons. They're able to have their services covered by Medicare and health insurance providers because it's a disease, an epidemic. If it wasn't, it'd be way less likely to be covered. And then of course, pharmaceutical companies can justify the release of new drugs as well as like really pushing for the ones that are already out there. And they get a lot of money. Like drugs are very expensive. (laughs) Like they get a lot of money by pushing this out there and then insurance is covering it. So more being prescribed because it's to prevent or treat obesity as a disease. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, it's about money. That's what a lot of this is about, unfortunately. Exactly. Like, uh, why else would they call it a disease? A disease? Like, it's it's all for money. It's all for money. That's the only yeah. way anyone benefits from it. It yeah. doesn't make someone feel better. It's not like a mental health thing where if you tell someone their body is a disease, that's like helpful for them. Yeah, that's no, no. It's about <laughs> money, which is actually one of our points, like when you tell a child, which is what we're talking about today, that their body is wrong, their body disease, their body should not exist as it is. This is obviously going to lead to problems down the road as they develop. And they think about how their doctor told them when they were eight in the doctor's office, how bad their body was and how wrong it is. Yeah. That's one of the most kids are so easily influenced and vulnerable and it's basically setting them up for like dysfunctional eating because they were told something was wrong with their body. And especially if their parents are already pushing that on them, which a lot of parents do push that on their kids. Like you need to start weight watchers or you need to start whatever diet it is with me. Um, now that like they'll look back and like, be like, if like with the bariatric surgery example, like they'll look back and be like, oh my gosh, I like, even at the youngest age, like when kids should not be to care about like what their body looks like and how many calories are in foods and limiting how many calories they eat for X amount of time to recover from a very surgery or to keep up with their medications to shrink their body. That's not something that should be anywhere on their agenda or priority list, like learning math and developing social skills and figuring out who they are as a person. This has like no business being there. Exactly. Exactly. (sighs) Oh, let's talk about one of the other issues 
with these guidelines, which is, it's like, I don't want to say it is an easy way out, easy way out to not focus on bigger problems that are actually at hand and going on. It's a cop out really for like, oh yeah, like this is a really easy way to make more money by focusing on this ratio of people's bodies. So first we talk about a lot is the amount of weight bias in the world and fat phobia in the world and weight bias, especially in healthcare and the negative consequences that come along with that. We always bring up the example of like, you went to the doctor for a, like a, a runny throat. nose, a yeah. sore throat, uh, strain, like your knee hurt and weight loss is probably recommended at some point. Or they're like, oh, you could benefit, like you could breathe better if you lost some weight or you could swallow easier if you lost some weight or whatever it is. It's so weight centric, unfortunately, which is this, these protocols are, this protocol is feeding into. Additionally, access to food and healthcare is a huge problem that I think that we, we as in society, I'm going to say, um, tend to forget about that food is not just like calories or something anyone can get access to. Food insecurity is very prevalent. The average like minimum wage has not gone up in relation to inflation over the past 50 years. So a lot of people struggle with money and have financial issues. And also like insurance is the worst. I, I don't, Hannah, I don't know what you do with insurance, but like I've been dealing with insurance a lot more recently and it's, it's the worst. Outrageous. It's the how worst. expensive. Like if you don't have insurance for like one med, it can be like 800 to $1,500 for a month. That's absurd absurd no it should not be that i know it did not take that much money to make that that pill like no you're it's just pharmaceuticals and insurance benefiting financially off of like that and whatever like i i could have an entire episode about beef with insurance <laughs> um i just saw something too after surgery i mentioned the vitamin protocol which is very mm -hmm. expensive because it has to be very specific medic or very specific vitamins. Like you can't do chewables for a certain amount of time, or excuse me, you can't do capsules. You have to do chewables for a while. They have like bariatric specific ones you can take. And then also protein supplements are a big part, especially for the first six months to a year after surgery supplements in general, whether it's like the multivitamins, the calcium or the protein supplements, those are all super expensive. And if you're food insecure, your doctor says that your child's obese. They need to get bariatric surgery. You don't know much about it. So you just say, okay, I'd rather them get surgery than be fat. So you do it. And then after surgery, you find out, oh, they have to be on this vitamin protocol and take protein supplements, but we barely make enough money to like get regular food. Like you're going to be in a tough spot after that. And I just thought of that. And that like really sucks. Yeah. And it's really frustrating how like that even is something we have to like deal with yeah where like we have I wish 
financially it was not an issue, but like there is a lot of maybe I, maybe the right term is politics in food and healthcare. And yeah, I don't even want to know how much the vitamin protocol is or and like any of those things. It's another bad part is depending on the surgery center, some surgeons won't like prescribe the vitamin. And so it's all out of pocket. Like no matter what insurance you have, it's not going to get covered because it's not a prescript, a prescribed supplement. It's when you have to go out and get on your own. But even if it is prescribed by the surgeon, yeah. you still may not get coverage. It just totally depends on your insurance, but like you're taking vitamins forever, which not only is that hard to do as a kid, especially, but it can also be very expensive. And that's just an added thing you have to add every month, which is tough if you are food insecure. Also, not all insur- insurances even pay for the surgery. Like sometimes no. it's self-pay to get the surgery and that's tens of thousands of dollars. Which is insane. I don't even know what it is for kids. Like I've seen in adults, a lot of different scenarios where some pay for it, some don't. Um, but for kids, I have no idea like how insurance is going to go about like covering that. And they can probably make up whatever they want. Cause oh yeah, no one's really done it because now that there are official guidelines, they can kind of spin it however they want. And like there's also guidelines currently for adults at like how often they should see their dietitian, how often they should see, um, their surgeon, they should get labs a certain amount of times. Like, are, are those existing for kids at this point? Or are we going to like, just play it by ear, let these 13 year olds get surgery and then just like, see how it goes. Yeah. Like the surgery has been around for a long time for adults. So there have been guidelines developed, not that it still is a great thing. Um, but at least there's guidelines for kids. What is there besides just this recommendation now that your PCP should be telling you to do it if you're obese. Uh, Yeah. So there are also other issues at hand too, that we're ignoring like unsafe environments, physical activity. Not everyone lives at a place where physical activity can happen. And they mention in the guidelines frequently Um, that like meds and surgery are meant to be done in conjunction with, of course, like a healthy lifestyle and family support and with physical activity. Um, and that's all fine and dandy, but like who has all of those things guaranteed? I was going to say family. So like, yeah, that's no, if you're a big privilege to have, (laughs) like if your mom just hates that they have a fat child, like they're not going to support you after surgery. They're just going to be glad that you got it. So you're not their fat child anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, it's so bad. And anyone can have kids. So (laughs) that's just scary. (laughs) I don't, we should be working on that. We should. Anyway, that's a, that's a different, a different topic. <laughs> Something else that's another really big issue at hand that just focusing on saying obesity is a disease distracts from is like lack of education and cooking and nutrition as any part of curriculum, like in school. But also, I feel like we should throw in like budgeting and like almost like consumer ed, but for like basic life components especially with like managing food and stuff like that there isn't I don't really know much like I think I took maybe one home at class and I grew up in a very privileged area 
Yeah. I remember vividly taking like a class and it was, it was so bad. The lady was like saying like carbs are bad. And all we like really learned was what different colors of fruits and vegetables equate to in terms of like the nutrients they offer, like what antioxidants you get, which is like fine and dandy. Like, yeah, obviously it's good to get fruits and vegetables and that's why, but how does that translate into Why is a kid going to be like, I need my anti-X. Right. I need my beta carotene. I need carotene right now. (laughs) Yeah. Like that doesn't teach you like how to grocery shop or budget. Like you said, so you can get your groceries. No. More like why it's important to eat carbs or like protein, like basics. Right. Instead of people demonizing them, like carbs are, carbs are bad. That's, I love that. I doubt they had any nutrition background. I was just going to say, I know it was taught by someone who did not have any background in nutrition. It was just a teacher, which teachers are great, but they have no training in nutrition for the most part. No, no. And additionally, one of the other large issues at hand that Han and I emphasize all the time because we are strong mental health advocates is the inability for people to afford therapy to treat mental disorders. So whenever there's weight loss involved, I always recommend someone works with the counselor because nine times out of 10, it's not about the weight. And then therapy is expensive. A lot of insurances don't, it's hard to find, one, it's hard to find therapists because so many people are mentally unwell. <laughs> Two, it's hard to find therapists that are covered by insurance. If you even have insurance, that is. And then if you're on like, let's say like a Medicare program or some type of assistance program, who even knows what the coverage looks like there? And going through something as intensive as bariatric surgery or taking medications for weight loss should be done. Whether we... Because like, it's going to happen no matter what, because no matter what Hannah and I say, like it's this podcast, it's already affecting no one, but it's not going to stop that. But all yeah. we can do is educate you guys in the decisions you make. I don't think AAP is going to listen to our podcast and be like, let's, let's, let's bring it back to the drawing board guys. Like Hannah and Emily has some good points. <laughs> like, no, those upbeat dietitians, they really <laughs> Made me think twice. Please reference minute 13 where they mentioned <laughs> this. I would like to discuss this. No, they they do not care about our opinions, but we know you guys do. And we at least we appreciate that. But mental health is something that gets brushed under the rug so much. Luckily, there's been a lot more attention brought to it. And something as intensive as these weight loss interventions needs to be done with a mental health professional even like even as like a preventative standpoint if we want to I feel like that would be the best they could do in this situation right they could do would be to retract but we're going to be realistic here and I need to fact check this so if I say this and it's wrong I'll take it out or whoever can take out when we edit this but I I was like sifting through comments, which by the way, if you want a good time, but also want to get fired up, go to the AAP's Instagram page and look at their post on these guidelines. 
the comments are awesome. It's people like us just. Oh, like, okay. Okay. I was like, when they're you say not fired up. at all. Okay. No, I think I, like, I read them on something. I don't think it was Instagram. I'll have to look. It's good. I mean, they're like radio silent about it, of course, but the comments are pretty awesome. Um, shoot. What was I going to say? Oh, one of the comments had said that the AAP, like in like 2016, like put out some kind of statement regarding like how intentional weight loss diets are problematic and how they don't work long-term and all of this. And then like, here they are, what, seven years later, like going back on their word. So I got to fact check that. Not sure if it's true, but it just like, I don't even know why I brought this up. Something you said triggered that thought in my brain, but anyway, that is just more tea. I, I wouldn't even be surprised. <laughs> yeah. It's like, where can we make money most? Exactly. Weight loss is always going to sell as yeah. we've discussed, even just by classifying obesity as a disease is what makes weight loss sell. But there's a lot of other reasons too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind Let's of, get- that's the obesity as a disease part. Like that's, well, I guess we kind of covered that and then also covered like other reasons why these guidelines are problematic. Our next one obviously has to be about eating disorders. Yeah. We're going to have a whole section on this. Like obviously. And they do mention it. I put in our outline, let me read it section. I'll read it. You talk, I'll read it. (laughs) It's there's a lot to say and it's great. They even cover it in the first place. Like great kudos for even bringing it up. Some weight loss programs, diet guidelines, whatever. Wouldn't even talk about eating disorders. So it's good they brought it up, but there's just a lot of reasons why what they say is problematic. First of all, they say that pediatricians should be knowledgeable about the signs of eating disorders. But in my experience as a healthcare worker, many are not. No, no, (laughs) like absolutely not. In fact, they are the ones who are promoting disordered eating habits. I've seen this like literally on a daily basis. One of the big things they say in the guidelines to assess for these eating disorders is rapid weight loss. First of all, (laughs) eating disorders can occur in many bodies, even those who are not losing weight. Mm -hmm. Um, You are promoting weight loss. So if someone's losing weight, you're going to probably congratulate them, not say, oh, I see you're losing weight. Something must be wrong. Like, no, they just had bariatric surgery and they have an eating disorder. They're probably going to be losing weight. So... If they're coming to you for weight management and losing weight, that's not going to be a telltale sign for you. Um, The guidelines do list things like racism, the social determinants of health, socioeconomic factors, weight bias, disordered eating, all things that should be considered, but they still go on to recommend these harmful measures that be taken. Like it's like they're like name dropping and say like, guys, we, we like thought about this. Exactly. And then they completely ignored. Exactly. (laughs) And I want to find the quote in the little thing here. Where is it? Uh, we'll cut this out if I'm just like lingering too long. Oh, here it is. Okay. So on part B, Emily, if you're following me, where is it? I see okay. it. I, I see where you're, yeah, I'm at, I'm at the bottom of the second one. So I, I see. What so you're it saying. says in the field of pediatric nutrition and the treatment of both obesity and eating disorders, concerns have been raised as to whether the diagnosis and treatment of obesity may inadvertently place excess attention on eating habits, body shape, and body size and lead to disordered eating patterns as children grow into adulthood. Here's the kicker. They say the literature refutes this relationship, however. I saw that. Okay. 
And they go on to explain like what one singular study says that. Yeah. Literally one study. Even though we have oogles and boogles, I don't know how many, I guess a lot of studies. An overwhelming amount of studies saying quite the opposite. Exactly. So they're literally saying, they say, yes, we understand that it could inadvertently place attention on body shape and body size and lead to disordered eating, but it's just not true. Which like literally that's what the main thing driving this is, the attention on body shape and body size. That's like you're bringing it up. We didn't bring it up. You're bringing it up like- like you're looking this, a child in the eye and saying your body is a problem. Obviously that could lead to some issues. Yes. I, I read through it and it's a whole lot of nothing. It's they're like trying said, to they're name dropping. Like you said, it's like an essay where you get points for bringing up like <laughs> certain, like I'm thinking of like a push when like the more like famous people you said the more points you get it's like that's what I'm doing like oh yeah like people are talking about like racism and healthcare and healthism and eating disorders guys we have to mention that someone's like oh yeah 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 oh but by the way this like overruns rules all those issues like no something I love that I read an article from someone like on our side of this they said there's no such thing as non-stigmatizing care for obesity because the concept of obesity is rooted in size and the treatment is changing size. So like to say, it's like, it's not, it's, we're not fat phobic. Like this isn't weight bias. It literally is. You're focusing on the ratio. You're literally focusing on the ratio of someone's height to weight. And that's all they're focusing on. And like, you're saying their body's a problem. Yeah. Like let's change this ratio. Basically. I'm like, it would be maybe it wouldn't be a different story. It would still be the same story. But I know we've already said this, but like it's literally just height to weight. It's not body fat percentage. It's not comorbidities. Like it's no. literally just you weigh this much and your it, height is this much, and that's bad. You should get bariatric surgery. Yeah. Oh, Which, also, you're 13 years old and in, in high school, middle school, and trying to navigate puberty. Yeah. Do we have a section? Okay, I don't think we have a section. Mm, I'll bring it up later. later. It'll come to me. Um, but it's there's already like even had the highest mortality rate. Oh yeah, we skipped ahead of all that. I, we like went right into the. <laughs> I I was that's bad. okay. Let's that's the same. Let's get back. Just eating disorders in general have the highest mortality rate. Of all the mental illnesses, people will do some trigger warnings. There should have been trigger warnings before, but like people kill themselves because of their eating disorder. Yeah. And I feel like people, they're still just like brushed under the rug. Like, oh, little like Susie hate doesn't like her body and like doesn't eat food. Like that's what it's like minimized to when it's like deadly mental disorder where it can drive people to like end their lives and if it does result in extreme weight loss we mentioned that it can occur in any body size any kind of eating disorder but if it does result in 
being severely underweight, which is also classified by BMI. But anyway, um, being underweight is shown to be way more deadly than being yes overweight or obese. Yes. But we don't talk about that because we live in a fat phobic society. Yeah. So as long as you're thin, you are golden. So it's, this is like what all the comments say on the, the posts. It's like, where were the eating disorder specialists in creating mm-hmm. this? Like, mm-hmm. was one even like talked to, like they talk about eating disorders. They just, like, I feel like research. I could like imagine probably, probably from their own weight loss clinics <laughs> yeah. and like whatever companies. <laughs> it's true. Like, I bet uh, this is, this would be really good for it. Yeah. I bet like the doctors that are on the author's list are the ones who wrote the article on how eating disorders aren't the problem. It's obesity. That's the problem. Oh yeah. This, this panel of individuals, like there was not probably like anyone challenging each other. Right. Right. We also know that dieting and intentional weight loss attempts are some of the biggest predictive triggers for eating disorders. Yes. So they say that like, it's likely not going to be an issue, but we know for a fact that it's like one of the biggest things that leads to eating disorders. There's a ton of factors that can lead to someone getting an eating disorder, but dieting and intentional weight loss attempts, arguably to the extreme of bariatric surgery and weight loss medications being involved is a huge trigger and predictive thing that could lead to someone developing an ED. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's exhausting being, like, we are literally going to have jobs forever. Uh, yeah. We will always have jobs, unfortunately. Yes. Let's move on. I I don't know. I don't know what else to say about unisaurs. Like I besides like they are setting children up to develop unisaurs. That's yeah. I got a lot of it. DMs. I got a lot of DMs from parents who are like, I'm literally scared to take my kids to the doctor now because I know like what can happen. Well, good for those parents. That's what I'm like, yeah good that's good that you're even thinking about it like yeah it's good that your kid has a protective parent like you versus ones who just don't even know any better or they are intentionally like seeing it as a problem and making it worse yeah which speaking of it's a good segue into our next Mm -hmm. section so uh, the dynamic of parent child relationships is also something that could become an issue more so from these guidelines we've mentioned it a little bit but these are kids, like these are minors. And so the parents are the ones who will ultimately decide if their child needs to take medications, go on a diet, have surgery with the advice of a doctor who also doesn't know that child personally, and who likely experiences or has been practicing in very weight centric healthcare for a long time. So it's all they know is promoting weight loss on children and adults. And like, what does this do to a child's feeling of safety when like their guardian, the one they trust the most, depending on the dynamic is like putting them through a stomach amputation because their body is a problem in their eyes. And in my mind, I'm just like thinking about this. No kid like is like, I want bariatric surgery, mom. (laughs) Right. No, 
Like they will either, the only way I can see that happening is one, another kid gets it and they like observe that. True. Two, their parents promote restriction and weight loss. So from them, that's, I feel like that's one of the number one causes I see of like teenagers dieting is they like observe it in their parents Mm -hmm. or I, and I don't even think social media is going to play like, like bariatric surgery for children I cannot envision how it would be advertised on social media that would actually like that would actually like land with them like social media can't even get kids to stop like vaping I don't know because there are a lot of people who get the surgery who like that's their whole like TikTok page is just like their life after their sleeve gastrectomy like imagine like a 15 year old who had the sleeve and they're like, that's their TikTok page. And then like other 15 year olds see it and they're like, oh, I didn't know we could do that. No wonder you lost weight and you look so thin. I guess I was thinking of like from the company standpoint, I'm like, yeah. I just like can't see them developing a like social media manager, <laughs> but yeah. yes, I monials. Yeah. Medically, oh, I don't know how they're going to do that. Although that, that picture on AAP's uh, Instagram was not great. First of all, it was a minority. So like, let's was it the black dad and his kid? Yep. Okay. Yeah. The yep. kid was not large at all. And yeah. the, the caption or like the picture said treatment works, even though we have gobs of evidence that shows that treatment for obesity does not work. It actually fails a large majority of the time. It like makes me so mad the healthcare space, how black people are treated. We're just, we're going, we're diverting, right? A lot of the comments went there. I was like, yeah. Cause like, what was, what is the acronym, not acronym, analogy? Like police officers are to, black men as what doctors are to black women Mm -hmm. and what I like heard that and I talked to a lot of like I because I did my clinicals at Advocate Christ which is a like they're like it's the biggest trauma center in the south side of Chicago so it was like a very heavy black population and it is so scary hearing Mm -hmm. about their experiences in healthcare. And I saw people talking about how like, oh yeah, now you're just like putting them on the face of this. You're like, that's, and it's not you being inclusive. Like, oh, we included a person of color. No, that is targeted. That was, that was a targeted post. Right. You're not being inclusive at all. It's so bad. So bad. Which I'm glad that like, these issues are being brought up, being brought up more. And like, I try to educate myself a lot and like, listen to those voices in the healthcare space be like, I don't like something you don't know as much about, but it's just like, what's the word? I don't want to say conniving, but it's like so manipulative. Yeah. And this is just what you see. I was shocked at the comments because how, because of how like supported weight loss is, I was so shocked. The comments were so like thought out and like educated and not supportive of their message at all. I was like shocked. 
Well, I'm glad that's those are the comments. I know. And I'm glad that because then people looking at that being like, oh my gosh, yeah, am I the problem? Because this little boy that looks like me is the front cover they're advertising for weight loss surgery and medications. But then you see the comments are calling it out. Yeah. So that's that. Good job, social media. I know. A time when social media did something good. <laughs> I know. I was impressed. I was impressed. I just wonder if AAP is going to like do anything because no, someone's seeing that. But like, there's probably they're like whoever's running their social media, but we all know we've had some nice personal experiences with professional organizations just ignoring comments. So, yeah, I don't have high hopes for that. Right. It's not like one of the doctors that was like an author of this, these guidelines is looking. Do they even have an Instagram? Like, yeah, right. No, they're too busy doing bariatric surgery on 13 year olds. We got sidetracked. Um, yeah. That really is yes. the biggest thing on the parent-child relationships. Like, of course, every dynamic is so different. And so how that plays out is going to be unique to that duo, trio maybe. Um, but yeah, like parents, your kids' lives are in your hands. And we know that weight loss and dieting fails most of the time. So don't put your kids through that. No. You're just going to be ruining or that relationship. Kids are so easy to traumatize. Mm. Like, so I think fragile. every, yes, I think every single one of my friends has been traumatized by their parents in one way. Like, <laughs> and this is just really going to mess them up. Please don't, like, don't do this to your kid. Yeah. I just can't imagine. I'm not a parent, so I can't even like no. wrap my head around it, but can't imagine it'd be good. No. Let's right. talk about the actual yes. interventions. We have a little bit already talked about like meds and surgery, but we have a few more points to make and then we'll be done for now. <laughs> That's all we got. For now. For now. <laughs> um, so with meds, the guidelines even state that which my point here is that we don't know the long-term implications of weight loss meds on people who are developing. Um, but the guidelines even say like for children younger than ages, for children younger than 12 years, there is insufficient evidence to provide a key action statement for use of pharmacotherapy for the sole indication of obesity. So like they literally say, we don't know what's going to happen basically. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of different classifications of weight loss medications. They're, they're all very different in what they do and how they work. Um, but all of them have side effects and that's true for any medication you take for the most part, but like you're getting these side effects for what, <laughs> like weight to loss that might happen, then then you're going to just gain it back. Like your body is changing. You're trying to manipulate your body. Like you're going through all of this just to meet the ideal of someone that doesn't even know you. It's. Ah, so that's the biggest thing on meds is we just don't know the long-term evidence. Like even with like adults that take these medications, these meds get like FDA approved rather quickly and they just want to be able to sell them. And so like, what was the one? It was like, mm, oh, sort of an M. It ended up like it worked well for weight loss, but it ended up like pretty 
Oh, I think I know you're talking about. Like assuredly oh. lead to like heart problems. It's like Meridia or Marilda, something like that. I forget yeah. the name of it. It's off the market now because it like led to heart issues and almost everyone that took it because it wasn't studied long enough to know the long-term effects of it. So how can we know what's going to happen when a 12 year old takes Topamax for 10 years of their life? Also, we know with these meds, which we haven't talked about these very often yet, um, or very much in detail, which do help settle meds themselves, but, um, like the whole point of the med is to, uh, be a tool to help you navigate whatever your issue is, whether it's like appetite, which is the biggest reason. Um, but then like, once you get off the med, you don't have that appetite suppressant anymore and you're just back to normal. In fact, your appetite could even be increased because your weight went down. That often leads to our appetite increasing due to our body's biological response to dieting. And so it's tough to maintain any weight loss you saw from those medications when you're not on them anymore. And who wants to take Topamax for 30 years when all the side effects that come with it are not so glorious. And like kids don't want to take meds. I feel like that's also like, yeah, that's like the whole vitamin thing too. Like you can barely get your kids to take a vitamin, like the multivitamin, like probably a Flintstones. That tastes kind of good. Like imagine like an injectable, like absolutely not. Which like a lot of their body now relies on based off of this change, this dramatic change they did to their body. Let's talk about the surgery because I feel like I can't even like fathom this happening. Um, so, I have so many children thoughts. like don't understand a lot of things. That's and that's okay, you know. They're kids. I feel when like you're just 12, now at age twenty six. Like I'm just now grasping what is happening. Like what's going on. <laughs> Like my frontal lobe just developed. Like I'm just now there. When I was 12 years old, I was worried about like what Lady Gaga's next new song was. Right. Or Or like, did I have enough of those silly bands on my arm? And like, what if the yellow one doesn't match the pink one? They can't understand what is about to happen in that surgery. It's just like, it's not going to make sense. Like, and like how far into the future can kids really comprehend? Like they don't understand what's going to happen 30 years from now because of the surgery they're getting right now at age 13. No. And they all consent to it. Like they're a minor. Brain is not fully developed. And it's a, it's not like a small surgery. It's, it's pretty big. Yeah. Um, I was reading a book recently. Oh, did I put it on here? Oh, I did. Okay. Bariatric surgery is one of the few surgeries that targets a healthy organ to cure a disease that isn't really a disease. Like maybe you have to get a heart surgery because you have a heart condition. That's like doing a surgery to fix an organ that has an issue. But like with bariatric surgery, you are targeting a healthy stomach and small intestine and like creating a problem. (laughs) You're paying a lot of money or insurance is paying a lot of money to go in there and create an issue, which is bad enough for adults, but in children in the middle of puberty, we're going to permanently alter their anatomy based on a mathematical equation that was never even intended to be used in healthcare. Yeah, that's, 
I didn't, I didn't even think about that part where it's like literally like a healthy organ. It's a healthy organ. <laughs> like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the organ. It's not dead. It's not malfunctioning. But you're going to alter it so it doesn't work anymore. And you can't metabolize the nutrients from your food anymore properly, which is most important when you're at this age where you're growing. We have the most job security we've ever had. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh man. It's insane. I saw a comment on Instagram that I quoted on here because I thought it was really good. It says advocate. I forget who said it. I wish I have brought the name down. I think it was just like some random person who was yeah. all about this or on our side of things. They said advocating for the permanent alteration of a child's digestive tract so they'll appeal to your sense of aesthetics is the opposite of advocating for the well-being of children. I was like, yeah, snaps. Yes. Snaps. Retweet. Yes. 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 That basically sums up the whole thing. It really does. <laughs> I was like, that's that, a good one. I gotta write that down. Yeah. Wow. We love the comments were I was so who... proud. That's maybe that's what I'll go do after this. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating because it's happening, but the comments bring some hope for society. Maybe 12 year old kids will listen to our podcast. And when their parents bring up weight loss, <laughs> they'll be like, no, I think most of our demographic is adults, but maybe <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're a kid, let us know, write us. Oh, we have comments now turned on for our posts. So you guys can now comment yes. whether you're a child or an adult. If you have thoughts on our episode, anyone can leave comments. Like the internet, you could anyone can comment. <laughs> yeah. Whether you're in your 80s or your teens, we want to hear mm-hmm. your thoughts. Yes. Yeah. So should we wrap it up? So <laughs> let's let's conclude. So unfortunately, this isn't new. The biggest new thing about this is just there's a professional organization like flat out saying. Yes, let's you should prescribe weight loss medications and surgery to children. The guidelines are not helpful at all. This is this isn't helping anyone. Like Hannah said before, like this is you're just telling people things are wrong with their bodies. Like this isn't going to be good for mental health. This is not uplifting in any way. This is not empowering. This is not empowering anyone. I forget what they said. I think it's like in the very beginning, like the authors say, like. We've worked so hard. People work tirelessly in weight management and we've just really all the best minds came together to create these guidelines. It's like, wow, congratulations for all That's of your embarrassing. hard work. What would we That's do without a- you? Like that's Probably, sad yeah. that this is what the best, their best minds came up with. Right. right. I'm embarrassed for them. <laughs> <laughs> this is a roast now. This is our roast. Uh, of the AP like this is the best you can do right good job docs I'm so glad you went to school for 10 years for this yeah for telling kids they're fat and body shaming them because of it yeah creating more problems like I don't like your body let me change it it's it's crazy so all we can do in these 
slightly scary times. I'm glad you're bringing this up. I maybe you'll say this in your next breath, but I'm cutting you off. Apologies for that. Um, I went to say this earlier, I write this down somewhere. I had a lot of comments when I posted like on my Instagram story, like what you guys wanted to hear about on this. And they said like, what do we do? Like, what do we do? Like as practitioners, like us, and also like parents, like, what do we do? So let's answer that. So I think practitioners, we should challenge these guidelines and recommendations I, no one is paying us to enforce them. Luckily, God, our, our, my, our job is not at risk if we don't follow these. So I feel like at the end of the day, we have to advocate for the patient. That's what I feel like our philosophy is very much. So both of ours, like Doctors you have to think about too, but whatever. Yeah. Whatever. And when you hear problematic recommendations, make sure that you're advocating for the patient. Like does this have their best interest in mind? What is this person's background in eating disorders or even the harms of like dieting? Just like, does this person who's maybe making this claim or recommendation have that background and have a conversation about it? It doesn't need to be like a fight. It should be a critical thinking exercise. <laughs> we'll say like challenge the thoughts, like ask what, ask like what, how, questions don't ask why questions because that comes out as judgmental (laughs) um and i feel like for the parents advocating for your kid and if you don't like what you hear one practitioner say get another opinion and if you're not able to get another opinion because that there in itself is being able to make the time for multiple doctor's appointments to have insurance that would cover multiple doctor's appointments that's a problem i'm very well aware it's a privilege like be able to have another opinion. Mm-hmm. If you don't like the initial opinion, you don't have to go through or you can, you don't have to do what the doctor says. Yes. Like, like you are your own health advocate and your child's best health advocate as well. Like the doctor. Yes. They, they likely are trying to do their best, but they may unintentionally not have your child's best interest, best interest at heart. I feel like it's going to be a lot of advocacy and challenging opinions and at the end like even if they're like oh the evidence says this or like I strongly encourage this or like they even start like fear mongering like you they can't force your hand right no one's forcing you to get a surgery that you don't want to get well unless your parent is but that's a whole other story that yeah for the for the kids out there <laughs> yeah uh advocate <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah like they can't force you onto a table and sedate you or like put you under and chop like cut your stomach they they can't do that right they can recommend yeah. it and you might take their word for it because they're your doctor but i guess our main message is you don't have to just like blindly follow what they say or what we say either like do your own I know we always say this maybe do your research is not the right phrase but seek a second opinion or like serious second opinion listen to other people like listen to other people like maybe go (laughs) is there a podcast advocating for this maybe go listen to that well, I was just going to say like three years ago, I've been like, oh, cool. New guidelines. We're saving the children. This is so great. Like, I think that's how 
these doctors that made these guidelines are too. Like they just don't know the other side or they choose not to know the other side of it. And so they're not intentionally doing harm for your children. I'm not supporting them. Don't get me wrong. I'm on our side, not theirs, but like, it's just been weight centric healthcare for so long that 75% of the field doesn't know any better. Yeah. This isn't surprising to us, but it's about to be like really harmful. Also, you can't have carbonation in life after surgery. So these kids will never get to have a sparkling wine or a beer. I was thinking of like breathing or something that I was like, what do you mean you can't have carbon? Carbon dioxide? I know. I was like, you can't breathe it out. Like what? Are you going to like become metabolic? Like like, are you going to experience like metabolic acidosis? Like- Oh my God. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, that's such a good point. I always forget that. No bubblies. No more. I just saw our (laughs) bonus question and I thought of that. Good segue. Um, but yeah, they don't ever get to experience like a soda ever again or a beer or sparkly champagne, champagne, not that everyone follows that rule forever after surgery, but that's the guideline. That's the guideline, mm-hmm. which we don't follow blindly. No, no. Okay. Let's do our bonus question because I need to pick me up this episode. Yes. Sad. <laughs> yeah. What's the best seltzer? Which my first question for you actually is, do you even like seltzers? I don't like seltzers. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I use them to like, like make like mixed drinks and stuff, but I'm not mm-hmm. a huge fan of like a LaCroix, just like straight. I don't think they taste great. No. Have you seen the memes of like, it's like a Skittle was like in a truck two miles away from the LaCroix. <laughs> I love them so much. I'm like, oh, I could like smell it. Oh, like, I like, there's like, I, there's like a watermelon field next to me. <laughs> I like rinsed a banana onto my LaCroix. <laughs> yeah. I was going to, my answer was going to be, um, the hint waters that I you like gave those. me. Yeah. But it's not a seltzer. I was paid by them at one point, but I promise this is not my paid opinion. I was not paid. Hannah liked them before she got paid. Yeah, that's why. And you guys should know this about me. I do not promote brands I don't like. I actually like Hint Water. Um, But theirs are not really seltzers, though. They're not carbonated. But I know you don't like carbonation anyway. So this whole question is just (laughs) a bust for us today, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I've tried a few different ones. I like the name yeah, the name LaCroix is fun. Yeah. I haven't ventured out too much though, because I just know I don't like them that much. Same. Okay. Maybe we should save this question for if we have a fun guest who we know likes sparkling beverages, we'll get their opinion. Yeah. So seltzer enthusiast. Why don't you guys let us know? Well, this question's for you guys. It's not for yeah. us. Let us know yeah. in the comments on this on our on this post on our website. What's the best seltzer? What's the best flavor too? Like if you like LaCroix, what's the best LaCroix? Yeah. I gotta know. <laughs> Do you like like white claws though? And like high noons and that kind of stuff? I don't I drink a lot of white claws, but I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't know why I drink them. They're fine. They're just like, not that great. No, I think there was one seltzer I liked and I'm blanking on like 
no, I'm thinking twisted tea. That's not a, mm. it's not a seltzer. Yeah. No. I'd rather have like a cocktail or wine. Oh or yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I'm definitely not a beer person. I mean, I'll drink a beer, but if I have more than one, I feel like I'm going to throw up. My stomach I feels like not. it's like humongous. I have tried to convince myself to like beer just because of like how convenient it is in social <laughs> settings. And I can For you especially. Yeah. You've got a beer lover in your midst. I know. And I've tried probably every single one of his and every time I'm like, it smells like beer bread. Uh, it I doesn't like it. taste like beer bread. It's like with a meal. I like to have beer with a meal. If I don't mm. want to say like, I will tolerate beer if it's with a meal. <laughs> yeah. But like drinking like just five beers back to back makes you want to. That doesn't. I don't and get like, it. I think beer... they're all frauds. I don't I know. think they actually like it. And like, here's one of those things cool. where, yeah, definitely where like, it's like cool to like drink like a ton. Oh yeah. It's weirdly normalized, which is a whole other conversation we've already had before, I think on here, but like, yeah. I don't get how physically, like I would feel like garbage if I had more than like two. No, no. Anyway. That was my, <laughs> at one point and not like disordered eating way. I like would tell people, I'm like, it's not worth the carbs because you don't get drunk. (laughs) Way earlier in my drinking years, (laughs) that was primarily the reason I was drinking to become intoxicated. I'm like, what is this like 4% alcohol that smells horrible and tastes horrible going to do for me? I have to drink like eight to feel something. Ugh, and then my gut is like extended by like a foot. <laughs> yeah. No thanks. No. I like a I like a a cider though. I do, I do like, like ciders. Do like a cider. Yeah. But I know I the bet. beer enthusiasts are like, that's not beer. Whatever. Okay. You can have your yeast water. <laughs> we'll be good over here. Yeast water. I'll be having my grape water. Thank you very much. Yeah. And yes. my potato water. Yeah. Grapes and potatoes already better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. That should be a wrap. This episode has made Gone my brain hurt. Enough. Yeah. If you guys have any questions about this topic, let us know. Like I said, we have our little comment section open now on the website. Yes. And we'll keep brainstorming new fun ideas to make it more interactive for you guys. We can keep like having your input. I think it'd be fun to have like listener mailbag episodes. Like once Ooh. every 20 episodes, we do like a listener only thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll keep brainstorming. But anyway, for now, the comments are open. Yes. And we want to hear from you. Yeah. What's your favorite seltzer? Yeah. And also, what are your thoughts on childhood <laughs> obesity? Very com- <laughs> opposite topic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in today. We'll see you guys next week. Otherwise, have a good rest of your day and go advocate for yourself and yeah. all the, the children. Go children. Okay, bye. 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 <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of the Upbeat Dietitians with your host, Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at The Upbeat Dietitians. 
Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.